This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. All right, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand so we can get a Bible to you. We're in Matthew chapter 8 this morning, continuing our series, uh, Forsaken Kingdom, through the Gospel of Matthew. Also, I'd like to highlight really quickly before we get into the study and just say that um, Thursday and Friday, thank you very much for you men that came and served at the ladies' Christmas social. It was a huge blessing. It was a huge success. And um, I know that a lot of ladies invited ladies to come that heard the gospel. And it was just really sweet. So let's give the guys a round of applause. They, they really did a great job. <clears throat> I only had to yell like three times. What are you doing? Just kidding. I didn't yell at all. Did I? Maybe I did. All right. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, God, that we can place absolute confidence in your word. And, and what you say, we can take it absolutely 100% serious. You have good intentions for us, towards us. God, you want us to draw near to you. You want to speak to us. You want to communicate with us. And Lord, we pray that this morning that we would have ears to hear what your spirit has to say to your church. We want to be known as your body that, that loves one another and that is spirit-filled and walking for your glory. So bless your word, Father. Thank you for the, the fruit of our lips so as we get to sing those worship songs to you, God. Thank you for the studying of your word, and, and, and may it be to us as, as worship, God. And then also for the tithes and offerings this morning, God, we pray that you'd bless that as an act of worship to you as well, and that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's message is Counterculture Kingdom. And, and we're going to look at five points, four main points, and then the last thing is kind of a result of those first four points. But we've got really three kinds of culture in society, in our culture. We have the mainstream culture. I mean, you like pop culture. Why is it pop? Because it's dumb. Just kidding. Because no, it's, it's popular. And, and then we, we also have counterculture, which, which really is those people who are directly opposed to the way a culture is and the way things do are done. And then we have the third, which we represent as the body of Christ. We have this, this kingdom culture that we don't do the things the way that the rest of the world does them. We're not necessarily opposed to it, and we're not counter-culturalites, but, we, but we, are, we are about doing things the way that, that God's called us to do them. And we're going to see these four points this morning really fly in the face of what culture has told us for thousands of years. Things haven't changed too much. Do you realize that? 
We read the Bible. I was I was talking to a brother a couple weeks ago, and he's like, man, I was reading the book of James, and it's blowing my mind. I'm like, yeah, pretty weird, huh? It was written 2,000 years ago, and it still speaks to everyday issues of life today. It's because it's God's word. It's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. But how do we act as kingdom citizens, as connected to what God's culture looks like? And Jesus gives us some instruction about that this morning, starting in chapter 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. I want you to take note of that. He gave them a command to depart where? You guys sleeping? To where? He said, we're going, and he commanded it. We're going to the other side. Now, Jesus is is known throughout Scripture, as we see, of of doing things a certain way that, that he knows is best and that maybe other people won't really understand. Imagine this crowd of people, 5,000, 10,000, this mob, this massive group of people. And what would you do if you were teaching these people, healing them, loving them, revealing God's will and purpose? kind of have a tendency to to settle down and get comfortable. I don't know about you, but have you ever traveled before with a small group? I've got a small troop of seven people. I'm like, you guys are so slow. Like every day I say the same thing when we go to the store. Why are you so slow, kids? Come on. We're in the parking lot. You're going to get run over by a car. Come on, stay with us. And then add 20 people. And then add 50 people, add a couple hundred people. Think of the children of Israel going through the wilderness, millions of people. But here you have thousands of people. And what does it say? It says Jesus saw, right? It says he realized he saw great multitudes about him. He gave a command to depart to the other side. This speaks to one of the main keys of of what we're going to be talking about this morning. This speaks to discipleship. Many times we think, maybe if I'm a disciple of Jesus, my life's going to get a lot easier. How many of you signed on for that? Everything's going to be smooth sailing and simple. But Jesus, God, as followers of Jesus, calls us sometimes to do difficult things that are not easy to do. When you come with me next year to Israel in June, and we're on the Sea of Galilee, You're going to see with your eyes the area that they were. And then Jesus is just like, hey, you know what, guys? Let's go to the other side of the lake with these thousands of people and just walk around. Well, they're going to have to walk. We we know the story, story, spoiler alert, that Jesus and his disciples are going to take a boat. He says, let's go to the other side. And I wonder, I'm not 100% sure, but I wonder how much Jesus was trying to weed some of them out. See, because Jesus was just about the personal, intimate relationships with singular people as much as he was about the crowd, but the crowd is fickle. You know that? The crowd is there one day and gone the next. And I think the next two examples kind of illustrate that point for me, that Jesus wasn't begging people to follow him. You know what Jesus was doing? He was commanding people. He's like, you want to follow me? Let's go. This is where I'm going. If you don't want to go, then don't come, then don't come. Look it. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Now remember, this is in direct contact, or this is, this is in, in the direct context of Jesus just saying, hey everybody, I'm going to the other side. And this scribe stands up and he says, I'm not only willing to follow you to the other side, I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus, how many of you have said that before? How many of you have said, I will follow you wherever you go? Look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus saying? Foxes have homes. Birds have homes. But I'm not committing myself to settle down in any place. And if you're following me, you are going to be a follower of me that does not know where you are going. How many of you know where you're going? (laughs) How many of you don't know where you're going? I don't know where I'm going. You're like, Lord, where are you taking me? It's funny how plans change. God, I had a plan put in place and everything was fine. Why are you rocking the boat? There is one thing I love to reference. There's one thing that Grace said to me, because you know Grace, my wife, she's one of the sweetest people that you'll ever meet, if not the sweetest. And she said one thing to me when I proposed to her. She said, Tim, I love you. I will follow you because we wanted to be missionaries for the rest of our life. I'll follow you wherever you go in the world. Wherever God calls you to go, he calls us, and I'll follow you wherever in the world God wants you to go, except Las Vegas. Her words, not mine. And I said, baby girl, from your lips to his ears. And it is interesting how we, 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 we put conditions on God's calling on our lives. We say, God, I'll do this and I'll do that, but I won't do that. He says, oh, you won't, huh? We'll see how, who, who's talking to him? Who is this first one that's following him? What's his profession? Does anybody remember? He's a scribe. It's a well-educated, probably somewhat wealthy individual. And his response to Jesus, I'm not just going to go to the other side with you, Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, be careful what you say. And it's somewhat implied that that scribe, that disciple, ended ended up not continuing to follow him. Point number one, if you're taking notes, point number one is no home. No home? God doesn't want me to settle down. No, don't misunderstand. You can, you can buy a house. And I remember one time I, I, uh, Grace and I came into a little bit of money and we bought furniture for our house because we needed furniture. And the furniture that we did have in our house was old and it was the people who owned the apartment in Croatia. And we, and we got new furniture. And I'll never forget, we had a prayer meeting and there's uh, some people from the church came over. They walked in, they saw our new furniture and they said, huh, new furniture, huh? And I said, yeah. And they're like, guess you're settling down here on earth, getting all comfortable buying furniture and stuff. And I'm like, I, 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 think, that, I think it's okay. I think it, let's pray. Let's pray together, okay? It's not really what it's talking about. I think that you understand what it's talking about. It's talking about sinking down, putting down roots, making plans when you really don't know. You don't know. God could pick you up and take you somewhere else tomorrow. And, and, and we're so about our culture. Listen, brothers and sisters, our culture is so much about comfort and convenience and making the plans and getting everything together and making sure everything's 
kosher and good with the way I want things to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be prepared. You have to be ready to wonder, some degree to, to, to submit to where he wants you to go. Don't make plans. I'm going to go to this city or that city and live there for a year and make this much money. Knock it off. Doesn't mean that you can't go to this city or that city. Doesn't mean that you can't make plans. Doesn't mean that you can't make money or be successful. It's, it means that you can't place your confidence in those things. You can't place your confidence in those plans. You can't say to God what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do, God. What about if I want you to do something different? I already planned it. Duh, you can't tell me something different. Clearly, it's been planned. Didn't I say that? You got a plan to make a plan? Counterculture is availability to God and his leading. Number two, verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. <laughs> but Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You guys, I just, I love Jesus. <laughs> He's so unapologetic. Now, what most people don't understand is that this man's father had not just died, okay? I think that for most of us, we, we think that, oh, Jesus is being insensitive. This guy's dad just died. He's like, oh, the, fir- the funeral's on Saturday, Jesus. I got to go bury my dad. I'll be back. Hey, you get out of here. Let the dead bury their own dead. This is not what's happening. Jesus is getting to the heart of the situation for this man the man's father is alive, and he's saying, I like what you're cooking, Jesus. I smell it, and, and I want to be a part of it. But, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe later. Have you ever said that to God? God, I don't really want you to do that in my life, that thing in my life right now. I got other things cooking. I got other things in the works, and, 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 and it doesn't fit with my agenda, my schedule. This guy's saying, I'm going to go, and my dad might be alive for two years. He might be alive for five years. He might be alive for 20 years. But as soon as he's dead, and, and what's the implication, kind of, right? What's the implication? As soon as my father's dead and, and I receive my inheritance, then, how many of you have said, God, if I just win the lottery, then I'll start tithing. Oh, God, when, when you bless me above what, no, he, he takes the little that you have that you are faithful with, and he gives you more. That's the biblical principle over and over again. With everything, he takes the little that you have that you're faithful with and he gives you more. He says, you follow me now. I'm showing you the way of life, the way to life. And anybody that's not following Jesus, I know that this is kind of strong, I get it. But anybody that's not following Jesus is living in death. They're not really alive. They're not experiencing the abundance of life. They're, they're connected to a culture that doesn't produce life. Look at our culture. Does our culture produce life? It's sickening. Are you guys listening? I don't even want to bring this up. I'm not even going to do it. You guys listen to the things people talk about? They hate each other. Everybody hates each other. I'm not going to say it. All right. Number two, don't wait. Number two, don't wait. It's, it's, it's easy to put it off. It's easy to make plans to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. You know what? What God's called you to do, do it today. 
You can't start loving people tomorrow. Take the simplest, most biblically motivated instruction in the Bible to love one another and stop waiting for the opportunity tomorrow and do it to somebody today. Show them that you love them, serve them, care for them. Don't wait. You know, I was talking to a brother uh, at the social. He came to the social. He served at the lady social, but his, his wife didn't come. And, you know, it has stuff happens, stuff comes up. But I asked him, I'm like, hey, is your wife coming to the social? He said, no, I, I wanted to serve, so I came down. He came both nights, Thursday and Friday, and served. I said, hey, is your wife's not going to come? She, he said, no, maybe next year. I said, don't you know that it's God's will? You're in disobedience if you don't come to the ladies' social? <laughs> I'm not going to say the H word, but you're pushing me there. Just kidding. Some things are inconvenient. They're uncomfortable. They're they're not ideal. But if God is calling you to do it, ain't nothing to it but to do it. You just, you gotta take the steps of faith because the world wants to procrastinate. We want to look at, make all these little memes about how cute it is that, you know, um, we have a meeting for procrastinators on Tuesday. See everybody on Wednesday. Ha, 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 whatever, you know. Just do it. Be obedient. Number three, now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? We have all kinds of things in our society to make things more comfortable and less questionable, especially when it comes to the future. Now, again, I'm not directly opposed to some of these things, but we have insurance policies and retirement plans and all of these things to make sure that if something bad happens, it'll get taken care of later. And I wonder to what degree our faith is inhibited because we have so much stock in all these things that we have for the future. Like the guy that had the great barns, right? He's got an increase of wealth and he's storing it all up. And what, what, what did Jesus say to him? You fool, tonight your life is going to be required of you. What, what, what good is any of that stuff? And, and here, the disciples, that Jesus said, hey guys, we're going over to the other side. He didn't just say it, he commanded it. He's going, and, and what, what are they struggling with? The fact that if they're going to make it or not. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever been ste stepping in obedience and the calling that God's given you and, and you start to question, what am I even doing here? I think that way every other day. My God, what am I even? But God, in his goodness and his grace, he still meets you in the storms. Just because you're following him doesn't mean that your life is supposed to be smooth sailing. There's still going to be things that come up that are going to do what? What are they going to do? You know what they're going to do? They're going to exercise your faith. How many of you guys like to exercise? Put your hands down. None of you guys really like to exercise. I'm just kidding. I like to exercise too. 
Exercising is hard. It's not super fun. It's the result that we're going for, correct? Oh, no, I just do it because I like to abuse myself. (laughs) Your faith is going to be exercised. What they were demonstrating, point number three, no faith. The, The current culture, our world would like to have everything set up and and in place. But we have to leave some room for the Lord to work and for an opportunity to exercise the faith that we say that we have. You've been in that place before. I know that you have because I have where you're in the middle of the sea and the storm is raging and and you're, you're crying out to God, why did you bring me here to die? Like the children of Israel. I still have a hard time. I know that I'm just like them. I, I understand whiny, snivelly, bratty little kids who get taken ultra miraculously out of the land of Egypt, see all the plagues, running away from the Egyptian army. The Egyptians are coming. God just parts the sea. They walk across on dry land. They get over. And how long was it? A few days, maybe a couple weeks, before they start to cry and say, why did you bring us out here to die? And you do the same thing. (laughs) You see, the mir- you see the miracles in your life. You see the provision in your life. You see the goodness of God in your life. You see the answered prayers in your life. But then when the storm is raging, oh God, why did you bring me out here to die? Why did you, what did Jesus say? What was his word to them? To these disciples, what was his word to them? Let me rephrase that. What was his command to them? We're going to the other side. Do you think they would have responded differently if Jesus said, hey guys, we're going to act like we're going to the other side, but we're going to get in the boat. There's a big storm that's going to come. We're all going to drown and die. Hop in. All right, Jesus. You said so. I wonder if they would have demonstrated any measure of faith by not getting into the boat if he said that. But they got in because Jesus said what? We're going to the other side. Can I tell you, if if you're here this morning and you're in the storm and it's raging, can I tell you that Jesus commanded that you were going to a destination? He said that he was taking you somewhere. You're only in one part of the process. God doesn't start things in your life and not finish them. He's faithful to the things that he starts, he brings to completion. He brings another way you can translate that word to perfection. That's what his intention is. Don't give up. Don't give up early. Don't stop. Keep going. He's given you his word. We're going to the other side. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Do you know what the opposite of faith is? I just said it. You guys know what the opposite of faith is? What is it? Fear. And the enemy wants to come in your life and say, oh, you better be careful. 
You better watch out. You, this is, and it, the fear in our lives causes us to make decisions that are contrary to what faith demonstrated looks like. I just really enjoy yelling, so I hope you guys are okay this morning. Fear is contrary to walking in faith. And when we're driven to cry out to God based on fear, look at the response. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the waves and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Do you know that Jesus didn't have to calm the sea? Do you know that? He could have said, I would have, I would have you know, in, in Jesus' style, smacked them all across the face. <laughs> I told you we were going to the other side. Why'd you wake me up? I've had a really long day casting demons out and dividing fishes and loaves. And here I'm trying to get some rest and you're waking me up. I told you where we were going. I'm going back to sleep. You better not wake me up again. Ah! He didn't have to, but he did to demonstrate the authority that he has over the storm to demonstrate the authority that he has over your storm. That maybe it's not just going to end. It has the potential of ending. He has the absolute authority to finish it. And who is this guy that the wind and the, and the sea obey him? But he's taking you to the other side. Even if it continues to be tumultuous. He's given you a word. Hold on to that word. This is what I've told people for years, and I learned this the hard way, um, being on the mission field and, and taking steps of faith of what Grace and I believed the Lord was leading our family in, you know, having babies overseas and all kinds of stuff. This is what I would tell people when they come, and they're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm in this storm. Things are really difficult. I don't know what, what's happening. I don't know what to do. And I say, stop. This is the most important thing for you to do. When was the last time you remember God speaking to you? Because can I tell you that God wants to talk to you? He wants to speak to you. He's done it through his written word. And it could be as simple as you have in a devotional in the morning. And, and, and the Lord, has he ever done that? Just taking that verse and just smacked you across the face with it. I'm going to take that one, Lord. Thank you. I'll, I'll receive that. And then something happens an hour later. We were like, man, that verse, the Lord was getting me ready for something. When is the last time that you remember the Lord speaking to you? And they'll say, oh, well, it was about this. And it was, it was, it was at this point of time, and this is what he said. And I said, how does that affect what's happening in your life right now? Get back aligned with that. I love the, the, the picture of Abraham. And the, and the fathers, but, but Abraham is wandering around. He's in the desert. He, he's, he's seeking a kingdom that is not a kingdom of this earth, but whose, whose builder and founder is God, and he's, he's traveling around. And, and you recognize, you see that every time God spoke to Abraham or appeared to him, what did Abraham do, Bible scholars, every time? What did he do? He built an altar. He built an altar or he, he erected some monument and then he would take off again. And you know, we have a few instances where Abraham's wandering in the desert and, and, he, and he kind of loses his direction and he doesn't know where he's going. What does Abraham do every time? He goes back to the last altar that he built and then he sets off again. 
And that's something that we have to do on a regular basis. If we say we want to know who God is, if we say that we want to follow him, then he has to be giving us instruction. Can I get a witness? He has to be giving us instruction. He has to be leading us. He has to be showing us. We have to be intentionally asking him so that we can set up those monuments in our life so that we can go back and get recalibrated and head back into the wilderness sometimes. Who can this be? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Number three, faith. Have faith. Number four, starting in verse 28, when he had come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Verse 28, when he had come to the other side. They made it, guys. Yay! They didn't die on the lake. It's funny, the first time I went to Israel, um, we went on the Sea of Galilee in this big boat that's supposed to be like a mock fishing boat, like you're the disciples. And when we went out, it was sunny, it was warm, it was really nice. And we went out, and as soon as we went out, the tour guide explained to us how these storms would come on the Sea of Galilee. Because all around the sea, there's, there's mountains, and then there's this one spot where there's a break in the mountains, and there's just like a big hole, like a mountain ends, and then a mountain begins, and there's a big hole. And she explained to us how this is where the winds come from, and they, they, they come through the mountains onto the sea, and it's instant like a storm. And we're on the boat going out to the middle of the lake, and all of a sudden, these clouds are like, boop, and it was like, storm and it was like we're like oh wow that's really crazy to see how that actually happens but they made it to the other side and we made it back to shore and what confronts them now remember um they're going from one side to the other so what was the side that they were on first would probably be most likely well it is it's the it's the israel promised land side and when it says they crossed over where do they go they go to this area of the Gergesenes and also known as the area of 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 the Decapolis the 10 cities and and I mentioned when we started Matthew that this area it was very um, mixed there was probably upwards of three million or so people in this area so when we talk about crowds of 10 you know 5 10 15 thousand people it wouldn't be hard to understand this this area of of around three million or so of these communities kind of planted all over the place and the first thing that they're confronted with or that they're met or greeted with when they get these two demon possessed guys i don't know how much longer i want to be hanging out with jesus (laughs) and he's leading me to the other side and demon possession, and note what they said to him. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Even the demons know that there's a time set for everything. And even the demons recognize Jesus as the son of God. You know, the interesting thing about 
people who are Satanists, it really boggles my mind because they give more credit to demons and demonic activity when very clearly Jesus had authority over the spiritual realm and over them. And even they admit with their own mouths that there's a time that they're going to be judged and it's not yet, so leave them alone. Isn't that crazy? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. When you come with me next year, I'll take you there. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, I need to take note of that second part, okay? They went into the city, and they told them everything, comma, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. So take note of that. We're going to revisit it. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. What happened to the demon-possessed men? Does anybody remember? Uh, They were delivered from demonic activity. I heard somebody say this the other day. I don't know why it really bothers me, even to the point where it shouldn't because it's silly, it's not me. But you ever heard people ever reference to, yeah, I've got my demons. Almost like as a qualifier, like I got my struggles and my issues and my vices and that's just the way that it's going to be and oh well, whatever. You know that God doesn't want you to be influenced or oppressed by the enemy? Don't even reference like it's an okay thing. He wants to give you deliverance. He wants to free you. And here we have something that happens that it's interesting how it, it, many times it is always connected to the bottom line, isn't it? It was their, their, their pigs, now, some people will say, well, you know, the pigs are unclean, so Jesus was doing a, the right thing. Well, they're on the other side. A lot of these people are Gentiles, but Jesus is definitely going to the Jews first, right? But as a byproduct, he's also ministering to the Gentiles. And maybe this is, a, maybe this is an illustration. That which is unclean in their lives, he wanted to deal with. We see throughout Scripture, um, God cleansing us, giving us white robes, purifying us. We see this concept over and over again. And and he takes that which is unclean in them, and then he puts it in an animal which the Bible said is unclean, and both of them are done away with. And that's how God wants to work in our lives too. He wants to deal with those things that are unclean in our life. And and there's some people that, that aren't willing to be cleansed of certain things. Point number four no thanks, or they won't thank Jesus. It's not like, oh, hey, Jesus, you're here. You're casting out demons, and you're helping us out. Thanks a lot. They're like, get out of here. We don't want those things addressed in our life. Have you ever responded to the Lord like that before? Kind of connects back with point number one, where we want to be comfortable. We want to be just smooth sailing. We want everything to be fine. Don't address any deficiencies. Don't, 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 what Jesus is trying to do, bring wholeness, 
on the physical and spiritual level. Now, we don't want none of that here. We're fine where we're at. We need to be careful that when God wants to bring up something and address it in our lives, that we're willing to have it touched a little bit. We're willing to have it addressed and not just, I'd rather stay here with my demons. Nobody nobody needs to be thinking like that. They begged him to depart from their region. Verse 1, chapter 9. And this is why I didn't break it up, because it flows very well. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. You guys catch that? What happened? Get out of here, Jesus! We don't need you healing our demon-possessed people and helping us and making us whole. What did Jesus say? Now listen, guys, listen, listen. I'm the Messiah. I want to help you all out. Anybody sick, I want to heal you. I'm staying. I'm going to set up shop over there, and you just come to me when you're ready. What does it say? He got in the boat and left. See you later. Sometimes that would be shocking for us to think that Jesus is so willing to be uninvited. But the reality is, I heard this in one of the first sermons that I heard as a baby, baby Christian years and years and years ago that has stuck with me to this day. And and I don't know if if it's going to impact you the same degree that it impacted me, but this is is what this preacher said in, in the message. He said, I want you all to know that Jesus is a gentleman. He never goes somewhere he's not invited And if he's uninvited, he leaves. Isn't it incredible? I think evangelists quote the verse in Revelation when Jesus is talking to the church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And and they say, behold, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking on the door of your heart. Baloney. He's not. Jesus is knocking on the, the door of the church. The church that escorted him out. You're not welcome here anymore, Jesus. We're uncomfortable with the things that you're doing. And he said, behold, I'm uninvited. I'll leave, but I'm, I'm here when you're ready. I'm willing to re-engage you. And what does he say? I love the verse because it talks about food. And you guys know how I feel about food. He says, behold, uh, if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. We'll have a meal together. We'll have communion. We'll have community. Jesus is uninvited. And that's what the world wants to do. You want to take God out of the schools and then wonder why all these terrible things are happening. You uninvite, I mean, he's always available. He's always there. He, he does, P- Pastor Sean last week, he does leave the 99 for the one. But that was his already. So he got in the boat. He crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. I love this part of the story, okay? So we have four points that we're going to cover at the end. We're going to go over again. We see discipleship and really countercultural kingdom principles of what our life should look like as followers of Jesus, right? And then the fifth is not so much a point as much as it's a result of applying those first four. You continue to follow Jesus, and then you see things like this 
Point number five, the result, wholeness. And when we say wholeness, we're talking whole, not half. Get it? Not part, wholeness. He says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man is blasphemous. Because you and I both know that if we didn't know this was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we would think the same thing. Maybe. You can't for Who can forgive? They say it all the time. Ain't nobody judge me but God. Yeah, be careful when you say that because it's true. And you're trying to disqualify other people's opinions, which is fine. But God is the righteous judge. And only he can forgive sins. And Jesus says, I have that authority to forgive sins. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? What was the evil that they were thinking? That's interesting, isn't it? What was the evil that Jesus was not capable of forgiving sin? Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Jesus is a master communicator, right? He is a master communicator. This is what he says. What's easier for me to say? And I'd ask you guys, what's easier to say? Is it easier to say your, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say to a paralytic, get up and walk? Well, of course, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no proof of that actually happening. I can say it all day long. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's blessings. Boom, boom, boom. Make it rain blessings on everybody. But at the end of the day, when you leave, are you blessed? Tomorrow on Monday, when it's Monday, are you blessed? Well, no, no. Pastor Tim said on Sunday that I'm going to have a blessed week, so it doesn't matter what's happening right now. I received a word from the Lord that I'm blessed, and I am. You're blessed. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but so that you know that the Son of Man, the who, the Son of who? This is divinity given to humanity. So that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin, I'll also say the more difficult thing, get up your bed and walk. Take up your bed and go home. Walk, go, walk home. I don't know what I'm saying. Take, walk home your bed with, go. <laughs> and I think it's remarkable that the guy, I mean, maybe he did, but we don't see in the text. He doesn't say anything. Like, I'm not messing with this guy. All right, I'll see you guys later. You deal with that guy. <laughs> He's just obedient. He just does it. Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. The book of Matthew over and over again is about the humanity of Jesus Christ. I loved and Grace had this really uh, part of her message during the ladies social where she talked about how God had gifted part of himself, divinity to us. You guys might think you deserve it, but I'm like, I don't need any uh, that kind of stuff in my life. Like I'm not worthy of God almighty to, to give himself to me. 
but this is the representation of Jesus Christ, divinity given. This is the reason for this season, church. You know that? Christmas, it was given to us. The Son of God was given to us to suffer, die, be buried, and raise again so that you could have a relationship with God. So that I can say things to you like, what was the last thing that God spoke to you? And most of you don't think I'm nuts because this isn't just some kind of religious institution. This is a personal relationship with God Almighty by whom he created you in his image. Look at our four points. Number one, no house. What are we doing settling down culturally speaking, making things more comfortable, more easy for us? Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, are we going to follow Jesus as his disciples and not be too connected to the things of this world? Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But God, where you lead, I will follow. I will go anywhere that you tell me to. Like that Carol King song. Grace and I listened to that song over and over again before she said she wouldn't come to Vegas. So give her a hug when you're leaving. Because Jesus loves Las Vegas. Number two, don't wait. If you know what's good, if you know what to do, just do it. Don't put it off. Don't leave it for tomorrow. Do it today. Number three, no faith. Now, I don't mean, of course, this, these are contrary to, 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 to the culture that we live in. I don't mean that, that you can't have things, right? Insurance policies. I don't mean it. But, but just make sure that, that your faith and, and your, the way that your life looks is directly connected to what you say you believe about God. Even in the storm. Because the world says this is the way that we're going to act and this is the way that we're going to make decisions based on our own comfort and our own livelihoods. God says... Seek ye first my kingdom and righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Have faith. Maybe we should change that to have faith. Number four, won't thank. That was unwelcomed, God. No, listen, allow your things to be addressed by the word of God. Allow him to address things in your life on a personal level. You don't like this one, okay? Allow things in your life to be addressed by somebody close to you. Blessed are the wounds of a friend better than the kisses of the enemy. Oh yeah, keep going down that road. See where it takes you. I wouldn't go down there if I were you. Be thankful for the things that God has done and is doing and and and. Be submitted to the process. And then the takeaway point number five, what's the result? Wholeness. Holiness. Different than the rest of the culture. Different from the rest of the world. And you experience on a physical, spiritual, whole level, not half, wholeness. In Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And, and we, we do ask, Lord, what's even more important than, than the reading and studying of your word is, is the application of your word in our hearts. 
So may we have ears to hear. May we have the hearts to apply it as soon as possible. To not wait. To not put it off. Not ask for a tax deadline extension. But to just do it. Because there ain't nothing to it. But just to do it and be obedient to you. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit this morning. We don't do this all the time, but I sense that maybe maybe this morning is one of those times that you're having a lapse of faith. Maybe you're struggling and you're in the storm and you're questioning whether Jesus said it all to head over to the other side of the lake. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you this morning. So while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if, if that word is for you and, and you're doubting the command that, that God gave you or you're doubting the direction that you're walking in, that he's going to take care of you, I want you to raise your hand up high in the air so that I can pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, I lift up these, my brothers and sisters who raised up their hands in faith because they want to touch the hem of your robe and receive healing. They, they want to hear from you. They want you to speak to them. They want you to confirm that you have absolute authority over the wind and the, and the sea. And God, um, I pray that you would communicate that to them even, even further. We just covered it in your word. It should be good enough for us, but just confirm it for them further. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.